Today's episode is presented on behalf of this man's army, the British Army. I am Field Marshal Sir Bernard Montgomery. I think that's my name. Perhaps I was made a lord. I don't remember. When you die, you lose a lot of your titles. But I was a field marshal. You still have your intercontinental title? I have been the intercontinental champion since 1992. Yes. I took it out of the ultimate warrior, but nobody would acknowledge it. But I hold the belt. The reason I'm here is to thank you for watching a movie about my war. You saw that. The, uh, the, the, the strength of the British people holding up in my war. Open glory. Ah, yes, yes. And they, it was, it was among those little people who were the reason that I was able to win my war, you see. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, single-handedly, I might add. Um. Mostly. Um, I mean, certainly those people helped. I mean, they, they kept up their spirits with song. So what you did in the war. Wait, are you saying like you? Like, like you're the only mm. person? Well, I mean, certainly there was support staff, but uh, I was the one to put a knife in Hitler's neck. I'm pretty sure. My memory's a bit hazy. You see, when you die, your memory um, isn't what it once was. Oh, no, we're learning so many things about what happens after you die. We learn that you uh, yes. you, you, uh, you stop aging. And I, you... I'm pretty sure one is not supposed to talk about it. That's coming back to my head. So I'm going to stop telling you things you don't need to know about the afterlife. But I will say that I thank you for acknowledging my war and watching a movie about it. And I hope whatever movie you watch this week is just as fun and just as exciting. Can you say hi to Heath Ledger for me? Oh, I, <laughs> I, I don't have that kind of truck in heaven, you see. Oh. I must go back to heaven where I belong. But I'm Montgomery Field Marshal. Goodbye. <sighs> we couldn't have gotten someone from the movie. We had to get a very broad historical figure from the era. I, I, I'm guessing because 1987 wasn't that long ago, and there wasn't enough dead people in uh, it. Yeah, it's probably it might yeah. have had somebody. Well, we've had live people before, but you know, sometimes you just don't want to do the research, do you? Live people. Live people. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast called, because I don't think he said anything about it. No. For Scream. And Country. You'd think he of all people would want to, you know, at least invoke a patriotic phrase by you saying the title of our podcast, when you're, which invokes a patriotic phrase. Which I think has now been voted as the most patriotic phase. phrase. Yeah, it was both the most, we are in the most patriotic phase, and it is thanks to our patriotic phrase. I'm going to contest you saying that we are now in the most patriotic <laughs> that, phase. Nope, it's 100% true. <laughs> There's nothing more right now than the patriotism of being a citizen of the world. No issues at all going no, on. No, it's all great. All wonderful. <laughs> Let me drink screen. some more whiskey. Smoke screen, smoke screen. Um, oh, that's what daddy needs. Wow. Jason, what we normally do on this podcast, and what we're going to do this week as well, is we take a look at the British Film Institute's... I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> the British Film Institute's top 100 British films of all British time and the British year of our British Lord, 1900 and British 90, British 9. Yes. Thank um, you. And every week, we roll the dice. And yeah. we pick a... And, well, we don't pick. The dice decides. Yes. We get a random movie off the list. And we discuss it. We talk about if it holds up, if it's uh, if it's relevant, if it, if it you know, influenced the culture... And uh, and then we talk about the movie itself, too. That's Yeah, that's it in a nutshell, guys. Uh, I don't have much to add to it, except uh, God thank you. God save the queen. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do that once again this week. But before we do that, Jason, we need to talk about last week's film, Hope and Glory. Let's read some comments from Hope and Glory. 
are you trying to sing Land of Hope and Glory? Because if you are, you're doing it very poorly. Hope and glory. Uh, I don't know what the lyrics are, but I know it's like a da 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 Empire. Close. I don't know. And so on. Did you know that there was an Empire Carpets uh, jingle sketch with John Malkovich that was cut from SNL dress rehearsal and will never, probably never see the light of day? Have you seen it? I've seen bits of it because I watched James Franco's SNL documentary. And he had one? He had a copy? He No, he filmed them. Oh. It was behind the scenes of like a week at SNL. Oh, so he was just having to be there while they were doing the dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. It, was like, it looked like a crazy Will Forte sketch that just got no but reaction. But you know they got that on tape somewhere. They film those dresses, yeah, don't they? But right? it got no reaction in dress, and it was... Uh, wouldn't that be the... I'm sorry to interrupt our comments here, but wouldn't that be the best fucking DVD if they went through the SNL like tape archive and pulled out like... It's like the, the least reacted sketches, like the worst sketches of all time, just to like put them in one place to be like, what do you think? The audience didn't care for these. Perhaps you will. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of this weird Horatio Sands one-off character yeah, that eats exactly. cheese? I want that so bad. Ferkel, Fat Urkel. There's, what do you think? We could have made this a franchise. There's got to be somebody on the internet that's made like a custom DVD image that is that. Fat Urkel with Horatio I mean, Sands? Fat Urkel, the George Will uh, game show sketch, like everything. That's a good sketch. I like it too. It does, the it audience gets, does not care for it. The audience doesn't understand, I <laughs> no, don't think. not at all. Uh, but let's, okay, so Saturday Night Live aside, yes. we have to read some comments about last week's movie, which of course was 1987's, it wasn't owned by 1987, it was released in 1987, but it was John Borman's Hope and Glory. Ooh. So I will start us off here, Jason, will good you sir. I will, think? yeah. Right, yeah, well. you're my bitch. So, oh. the first comment comes from Matthew P. Eels. He says, "I always get this confused with Empire of the Sun, neither of which I've seen. They were released about two months apart." I, I understand that dilemma because I have that problem in my life where movies I confuse for no other reason than they literally came out around the same time, and at least in my childlike mind, seemed like similar subject matter. I can't really pull to, but I'm pretty sure Empire of the Sun is that a movie about like. The Japan and World War II, possibly, or the Aztecs. Baby, baby, Christian Bale is in it. And yes. it's a Spielberg movie. That's all yeah. I really know. Yeah, and it's on another list that we may possibly be doing. I in guess if it's World War II, I can understand the confusion. Jason, you interrupted my sorry my my yes. spoiler. Oh, on a possible future I, list. I, I, I said see. it might be on a possible future list. That is certainly on possible. this here show. Well, then I guess it is a, uh, uh, the move type of movie that I think it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I can see why this young man would confuse the two movies. Yes. Thank you, Matthew. Although, honestly, I'd heard of Empire of the Sun, but I'd never heard of Hope and Glory before this, and maybe that's a consequence of being on this side of the pond. I think so, and I think being released around the same time, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, alongside a Spielberg movie, right? And also, what was this, 1987? Yeah. I was four. Yeah, so why the fuck weren't you watching Hope and Glory? I was too busy watching The Popples. What's the next comment, Jason? Next comment is Adam Juris. Adam Juris says, I just recently watched this, and, oh, thank you, and I thought it was great. Well, I think it was a good coming-of-age story uh, in time, well, I think it was a good coming-of-age story in times of war. Uh, I think it is also a great family drama, and the women in this movie, I think, are really masterpieces. And they are. Sammy Davis. Yeah, everybody. Everybody's great. I mean, because, and, and they have to be. They have to be strong women, because they're the sorts of women that would have had to get through this, because mm-hmm. their husbands were away doing whatever. And nope, they had to be there. And the ones getting bombed, 
dealing with the families and shit. You had to be tough. I mean, Sarah Miles is kind of an underappreciated person on this list in yeah. general. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she was on that. Wasn't she on something else we just talked about like very recently? Oh, probably. Or maybe it's in the future and I shouldn't talk I, about I, it. I think there's a good chance that's the case as well. <laughs> oh, it is. It totally is. We'll move on. Time is an illusion, Brendan, as Douglas Adams once said. Lunchtime, doubly so. Don't forget your towel. That's right. Uh, Sharon, Hor- Sharon Horwitz. Again. Again with the comments, Sharon. What do you got to say? <laughs> uh, she said, I haven't seen it. Okay. Oh, but okay. it's funny that you're doing Hope and Glory and Day of the Jackal so close together because the actor who plays Clive in Hope and Glory was in the 1997 remake of Day of the Jackal. Yeah, he looks like the type. He, a st- stuffy British man in a suit. Kind of mm. skinny. I looked that up just to confirm, and that is... What, you, you didn't believe Sharon? I, listen, Sharon and I have a history. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I have confidence in you, Sharon. Thank you for your comment. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Air Force Colonel Curtis Bailey okay. writes in... I, don't, I, just, I was thinking of Curtis LeMay and Curtis Bailey. They're not the same. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're not a psychopath who has bombed uh, thousands upon thousands of Japanese people into oblivion, Curtis. I, 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 I'm sure of that fact. And don't worry, folks. If any of you don't know what Jason is talking about, I'm right there with you. Uh, if you just... Uh, Look up uh, uh, the bombing, uh, firebombing of Tokyo, Curtis LeMay, and you'll you'll learn some stories about how uh, how bad we were during. Is the he war. that guy from American Graffiti? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, it's a very good and often tender film about a side of World War II that is not often looked at in films. Agreed. Which is what's going on uh, with the folks back home. It's also pretty darn funny to boot. Yeah, it is, and it has to be to some extent. Like you, that's the thing is that to me the best. Slice of Life movies have to be funny. Mm-hmm. They have to have humor because there's always humor in life. Even in the darkest situations, like people will find time to joke with each other in some way or to make light of things because it's the only way that you can mentally fucking get through that shit. At least, at least in my case. I don't know about y'all. Maybe y'all are just fucking goth as shit and can handle it, but me, no, not so much. I think that's the problem I have with a lot of DC superhero movies. Yeah. It's just, just very like shit without any, it, any levity. There's nothing at all, and I mean, you don't have to have a lot. You can have a little. I mean, some wow. Marvel movies are fun and colorful, and and wall to wall humor, and some have appropriate bits of it to well, sp- lighten up the mood. Remember, this uh, this universe's uh, conventions were established by the man that brought us Sucker Punch, so it's got that going for it. DC, the DC universe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got that going for it, yeah. <laughs> uh, Victoria Stewart, uh, this is the most negative comment I could find. All right, Victoria, lay it on us. <laughs> I love it, but it does have a muddy second part when they go to the country. Yeah. You I, know, mean, that, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I agree with that because, like, dramatically it feels weird because it kind of divides the movie up in a strange way. It does. It's kind of like Full Metal Jacket, honestly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The first, the, both movies are different movies. They're exactly the same, these two movies. <laughs> both movies are different movies. What the fuck am I talking about? Both halves of the movie yeah. are, like, different movies. Well, actually, but, yeah, I would even argue Full Metal Jacket's, like, three separate movies. But, but yes. it doesn't make me not like the second no, half. No, absolutely. I just think the first half is so good yeah. that it kind of pales. Yeah, and, and I understand why they did this because that is, I think, part of the experience for a lot of people is that they tried to stay in their suburbs as long as they could, but eventually if they had the opportunity to go to the country, they would, or as the, again, as they tried at the beginning of the movie, send their kids off to the colony somewhere safe in Canada or, you know, New Zealand. Or Warsaw. I mean, that's not a British colony. In fact, Warsaw would have been the absolute worst place to be since the Nazis were occupying that since the very... In fact, they invaded Poland on the Poland day one of the war. Poland free so. since 1800. <sighs> Poland, what are you doing, guys? <laughs> Come on, Poland. Come on, Poland. Jesus. <laughs> What's our next comment, Jason? <laughs> we saved you, and what are you? What, how are you giving it back to us, you fuckers? 
Yeah. What, Polish sausages? We don't I mean, want... I mean, those are good. Those are pretty good. Those are really good. Pol- you know what, Poland? You're pretty cool, but get it together. Come on. Um, Make Poland safe again. Our old uh, our old buddy Adam Pellman's back again. Adam says, an excellent film. I thought performances by Sarah Miles and David Heyman were both great, and I love the way those events are shown tempered by so many moments of joy and optimism because it's told from a child's perspective. And absolutely. I mean, we uh, always have... I mean, I, I, I think... I can't speak for uh, people that have had just terrible childhoods because I had a pretty solid childhood. I can't complain about it. But I think no matter the situation, there's always some fondness to one's childhood that one can look back on. Even if it's bad, there's got to be something in there, that something you can look back on. And for this kid, this is a fucking traumatic time in a kid's life. You know, not, not every kid gets bombed to shit, right? I mean, not uh, everyone. Not everyone. But like for a kid, that's a crazy thing. But also the, the idea of like, yes, the rose tinted glasses, the nostalgia, the, you know, playing with the friends and all this, seeing his first uh, uh, bush. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't actually see it. Oh, he, he, he backed down like a fucking pussy. Yeah, but he got to see all his friends see their first bush, so that's pretty cool. Although I feel like that wasn't the first time she'd done that. That is a weird scene. Yeah, it is. A, it is I don't a understand scene. why she doesn't just want to show them her boobs, like milk well, money. I mean, I just if, of, of all the of all the things in my life, that was never offered to me, and at least in that way. How much weirder would milk money have been if Melanie Griffith showed those kids her snatch? Yeah, that would have changed the movie a little bit. I think and it's funny because it's you know it's, it's it's literally just a geographical shift, but it still kind of changes the whole tenor. Of the thing, it's like oh, it's like like oh, we're going to see a pair of boobs. That's kind of cute, right? But like oh, we're gonna get this lady to spread wide open for us. That's fucking creepy. <laughs> so yeah, that would change the tenor of that movie. Now, what if we also said it during World War Two? <laughs> oh shit! Yeah? Now, would it still be called Milk Money? Is my next question. <laughs> Uh, it'd be called uh, uh, ration uh, coupons. Oh, I just meant because I'm assuming they called it milk money because of her boobs are in the movie. Yeah, well, I'd call it ration coupons because that's what the kids would have to pay her with. Okay. Um, also because the kids saved their milk money to get the prostitute. Oh, it's such a gross movie. It is. And, and it's funny because I saw that movie as a kid and I thought that was a great movie. I enjoyed it. I watched it at like 12 years old and thought, those kids, they got it made in the shade. And now she's their stepmom. They can see the boobs anytime. But maybe I misunderstood how that was going to work. I don't know. That's on me. <laughs> just from your just from your description, I'm sure people are like, huh? <laughs> check it out. Milk money somewhere on the internet. It's on Prime. If you're oh, in Canada, very so. good. Uh, Kevin Kiley says, when the kid yells "Thank you, Adolf!" after his school gets blown <laughs> up, such a genuine moment. Yeah. Thought Davis was going to be bigger. Yeah, because that's you know, as as when I was a kid. Uh, that was always the thing. Kids, like, the idea of the school blowing up or burning down was just, like, this fantasy. And for them, they literally happened. So I can understand why they would be so very happy about that. <laughs> oh, I remember, like, when we would get, like, a like a bomb scare. Mm. And we'd all be sitting wait, outside. Wait, 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 How many bomb scares did you have in school to say, like, it's so flippantly and offhanded? Like, you know, like, when we'd have a bomb scare or whatever. I've, I've probably been through, like, 10 or 11 of them. My God. Where the fuck did you go to school? What, what, what? Well, farewell to Nova Scotia, the sea-bound coast. Let your mountains dark and drear I be. Well, I could say I went to... Uh, also Cob- Moncton, though. It happened to, like quite a few times. Crazy. I, I went to Cobbequid Educational Center in Toronto, Nova Scotia for three full years, and there was never one bomb threat. Now, many- a girl I know did leave a cigarette in her coat one time, and we all got sent home because the school stunk. How many people were in your school? About 1,800. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe Moncton's just a shit-ass town. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, maybe that's in Truro. Nobody was smart enough to figure out how to build a bomb. Or, or to think, like, what if I... Uh, yeah, good call. What if I, uh, what, what if I just uh, called it a bomb threat to get the day off school? Yeah. Damn. 
Yeah, no, it happened quick. That's why I could say it flippantly. Man, you are hard, more hardcore than I give you credit for. <laughs> I'm hard as fuck. That's right. Thinking about it. The last comment. The last comment. From Frank Bazer. Or Beezer. Or Beezer. Beezer. I like Beezer. We'll go with Beezer. Frank Beezer says, Maybe because I am almost the same age as the kids in the film. Maybe because it is ridiculously funny and I start laughing as soon as the credits come on. But it is one of my all-time favorite comedies. Well, there you go. I think it's but that's it, man. I mean, if you, yeah, exactly. If you're of that age, you can definitely relate. I imagine. I think it's very much a comedy. Like yeah. I think we talked about we talked about Alfie. How yeah. we, we kind of debated like, it, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I think we also said like back in the '60s when you had a comedy, yeah. those comedies back then also dealt with a lot of serious shit. Yeah, I mean, and that continued all through. Like there, are, there are many movies even from the '80s and stuff that you can look back on that were billed as comedies that now maybe don't read that way in the same way. It's like a drama with a few hints of laughter occasionally. Like Soul Man. Yeah, yeah, as relevant as ever. <laughs> All right, Jason, the last thing, speaking of being relevant, the last thing we and, do is... Oh, you know what? i got to give C. Thomas Howell credit, though. He made up for that because in the movie Gettysburg, he plays an officer for the Union. Yeah, that makes up for it. That everything. makes up for it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he didn't write the script. That's true, but he took the paycheck. Same, he did take uh, the same paycheck. as anybody. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so the last thing we do, Jason, is we talk about this film in relation to the American Film Institute. Uh, this Hope and Glory was number 90 on the BFI oh. Top 100. On number 90 on the AFI Top 100, and I don't know if you've seen this movie. Have you? Yes, because I've watched all of them oh, now. I suppose, yeah. Um, it is uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers in the film Swing Time. Hmm. That was not what I would expect you to say. I would have expected it like Singing in the Rain, which I also haven't seen, but no, I have not seen oh, that's Swing like, Time. that's like way higher up yeah. the list. No, I have not seen that. Swing Time. Uh, is it good? It's fine. Is it better than this one? No. Okay. Then I'll, I'll defer to you on this one. I will, I will say Hope and Glory wins this pretty handily. It's Good job, a, Hope and Glory. It's your a, medal's in the mail. It's like a fun musical, but yeah. that's about it. Also, we want to talk about what we were just talking about. There's a... There's a Good ten minute scene, five to ten minute scene of just Fred Astaire performing in blackface. Oh, oh my! <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, uh, might have to put a warning on the front of that one. Rented at your local blockbuster. So, Jason, what's after this? Do they have a whole section? It's just movies with blackface in it. That's, <laughs> that's a bad what, idea. That's why they shut down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were ahead of the game. We're gonna switch our beers to whiskey because Ooh. it's time to talk about. Whiskey galore. watched any movies that have had exclamation points at the end of their titles brennan this sporting life (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that work though it would it would it'd be a much different tone i think adding an exclamation mark to the title gives it a much different tone it does it it gives it a bit of a schlocky tone like like lawrence of arabia is like this epic like desert movie but you have lawrence of arabia it sounds like it's like some schlocky 30s action movie (laughs) or like a big musical yeah or yeah exactly (laughs) That, that would just be called lawrence Exclamation point. <laughs> Much like Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Is that the only other one, Oliver, maybe? Wait, I've got one more. Schindler's List. <laughs> oh, that's not on the list. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Okay, now it sounds like a porno. Now you're just reading the AFI list. Stop it. <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about this week's movie. Yeah, Whiskey Galore! 1949. Was that how you say those words? No, I was just uh, wanting to see if I was right. 1949! We're going to party like it's 1949. Oh, this is like a special event episode because we have been waiting for some reason... (laughs) To talk about whiskey galore because it was, I don't know, because it was like the title on the list where we're just like, the fuck is that? Well, it was just, it was a movie that we had, uh, well, we, you had difficulty locating and eventually had to purchase an, an actual digital video disc copy of the movie. Not I a did. Blu ray. No. Not a and download. A bare bones digital yeah. video disc copy. I mean, now to be fair, I'm sure nobody's still alive. Uh, commentary on it. Listen, it, how, okay, Jason, how much is in our budget for this podcast? Well, I mean, we do have access to the afterlife regardless of our monetary budget. I was just going to say, so, but, but budget-wise, we got like, what, five bucks? We can get dead people in here on a week-to-week basis. You're telling me they can't get a couple of dead folks together for a commentary track. That's true, but I don't, I don't know. The, are enough of them characters <laughs> that they would fill out a commentary? I want my I Basil know. Radford solo oh, commentary track. That would be lovely. What, what if Terry Thomas did it as Battle, Basil Radford? Battle Radford? Battle Radford! Oh, shit. That's, that's his wrestling a- name. <laughs> Oh, or like his biker mice name. <laughs> Battle Radford. <laughs> biker mice from Mars. So as you can tell, we have a lot to talk about this yeah. week with uh, Whiskey Galore 1949, number 24 on the list. And today's episode is brought to you by Grant's Blended Scotch Whiskey Family Reserve, crafted for a rich, smooth signature style. That's Grant's Blended Scotch Whiskey, available at the liquor store on the bottom shelf, thirteen ninety nine. Don't worry, guys. We were going to drink this no matter what movie came up. (laughs) But we are talking about Whiskey Galore. Uh, Like I said, it's number 24. 24 Whiskey Galore. There we go. And it stars Basil Radford as Captain Waggett. Joan Greenwood as Peggy McCroon. Mm -hmm. James Robertson Justice, who also helped with uh, some of the script as Dr. McLaren. Gordon Jackson plays the timid uh, George Campbell. (laughs) Uh, Wiley Watson plays Joseph McCroon, the uh, the father of his, the lovely two daughters. Catherine Lacey plays Mrs. Waggett. Henry Mollison is Mr. Fa- Far Carson. Yes. Bruce Sutton is Sergeant Odd. Ah. Uh, great name. Uh, and uh, Gabrielle Blunt. <laughs> yeah, man, roll it. Is Katrina McCroon, the other daughter of Joseph. Catriona? Uh, I spell Catriona, but I think they just call her Katrina. Yeah, that's what I thought I heard, but then they were like, Catriona. You just don't want to hear your wife's name, man! I just wanted to be correct if it's my wife's name, but it's not. You can, you can spell names different ways, Jason. Uh, no. Listen, coming from a guy who knows, <laughs> you can spell names different ways. It's spelled W-A-L-L, and that's that. So you know, get not, over yourself. Oh, I'm not even talking about my last name. <laughs> let's, just, let's, just, let's just dive into that. Uh, but Jason, I guess being Brendan versus Brandon, you've probably been called Brandon 90% of the time in your or life. Or Brendan with an O, or Brendan with two E's, or... Brendine? No, people don't... Brendine? <laughs> no, no, I mean, an E at the beginning and an E at the end. You... Oh, oh, Brendan. 
Whiskey Galore. Tell us about Whiskey Galore. J- well, actually, oh shit, you know what I was going to do? What were you going to do? I was going to hand you the, the DVD box. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, yeah, I could literally read off the back of the DVD box. But I won't. I will, I will improvise. Whiskey Galore is a movie in the tradition of a lot of other movies we've watched and that I've seen in my life. Uh, in the tradition of uh, pass, uh, Passport to Pimlico. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the tradition of a local hero. Mm-hmm. In the tradition of uh, Waking Ned Divine. In the tradition of The Wicker Man. In the Wicker, Absolutely, The Wicker Man. This is a movie uh, about a small town that conspires together to accomplish something against an authority figure. And in Passport to Pimlico, that was the government as they declared their independence, and Local Hero, that was against the company, trying to soak them for as much money as they could get. Uh, uh, In Waking Dead Divine, it was so they could steal the guy who died's lottery ticket and split it all up between themselves. And in this movie... Uh, it's a little sadder. Well, I would say though, just to correct your local hero thing for a yeah. second, that whole town wanted to be bought. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. But they yeah. they all they all conspired to try to soak the company for yeah. as much oh, money yeah, as yeah, they yeah. could possibly okay. get. Yeah, I gotcha. They they did want to sell. They just wanted to get whatever they could. I gotcha. Um, but in this movie, it's a little sadder. In this movie, this is set during the war, uh, uh, and things are tight. The second war, you know, the the, the big one, and mm. uh, the Korean War. Times are tight, and and in this li- this little island of Toddy. There's not a whole lot to do, uh, so people drink whiskey. And then, because it's war, the whiskey runs out. Mm-hmm. And there is no whiskey. And everybody <gasps> is very sad. Can, can, I know this is early, but mm. I, I, want, I want to play the, the whiskey moment. Please do. they run out of whiskey. Please do. You can feel their pain in this scene. The little island of Toddy is a completely isolated community. A hundred miles from the mainland. A hundred miles from the nearest cinema or dance hall. Oh, but the islanders know how to enjoy themselves. They have all that they need. Slangela! But in 1943, disaster overwhelmed this little island. Not famine nor pestilence, nor Hitler's bombs, or the hordes of an invading army, but something far, far worse. There is no whiskey. And an old man literally dies yeah. from the shock of there being no whiskey. Just, just, and, and what, not even the shock of not having whiskey and going into DTs, but like literally just the knowledge that there's no more whiskey left on the island. He goes to his house and dies. And uh, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is they say, um, just one second here, I'm going to find it because I loved this line. I wonder if I wrote it down too. Uh, oh, yeah. They say, so right after this guy dies, um, the narrator says, they were mourning for a departed spirit. It's <laughs> like so much going that's a good, on. That's a good line. Um, and so along with this old man's death, the spirit of the island, so to speak, dies with it. And they're all very sad. Life, they, uh, one person says, life without it is not worth living. It's a life. I mean, it's an island full of alcoholics. Yeah. And, and at one point, the, the old guys are all sitting around and they go, should we inform the prime minister? Well, Churchill, perhaps Churchill should say something about it on the wireless. <laughs> 
As if that's his top priority yeah, in 1943. Like, the island of Toddy doesn't have whiskey, so they're all very sad. Sir, uh, we need to deal with Dunkirk. But the island of Toddy! And the horror of having to drink water instead of whiskey. Yeah. You just, you can't, and lemonade. <laughs> so that's basically, yeah, that's basically the premise. They, um, they, there are scenes, like when the when the boat comes in initially, and Sergeant Odd is on it, and they're all standing at the dock, hopefully waiting for whiskey, they all just look like zombies. <laughs> I wrote that down too. They're like shuffling around the deck, and they slowly kind of mm. make hesitant eye contact with the captain and he just gives them that slow head shake no yeah. nope. and they and they just slump back into their bodies <laughs> like it's it's a very yeah it's very it's it's obviously a comedy yes but it's done it's a very i don't want to say dark i don't say dark comedy but it's no. like it's like it, it's a comedy that you can have a dark view on since it's a comedy about a bunch of alcoholics who are sad that they don't have their alcohol you know, in the in the way that uh, maybe something like uh, oh, what was that Dudley Moore movie? Arthur. Arthur, right, right. Something like Arthur, where maybe with modern eyes, it's like, oh no, this is just this is a person in a sad situation. <laughs> this is <coughs> this is a desperate man. Yeah, and and that's the kind of the, but I mean, these people are never portrayed as like you know uh, chronic um, dependent alcoholics, maybe in the way that Arthur was. No. But, uh, so it's all very light and fluffy. It's only dark when you take that look at it. And you could portray it that way, although it'd be a very different movie, I think, by the end of it. This is our second film uh, uh, directed by Alexander McKendrick. Mm-hmm. And I just want to mention a little bit about Alexander McKendrick because I found out some information about him today that's really fucking sad. Um, he was, well, he was born in 1912. That's not the sad part. Mm. I mean, that could be, probably was a little sad. Um, his actual his father died when he was six years old from influenza during a terrible pandemic. He was left with his mother. Now he was in the, he was in America at the time. Um, his mother wanted to be a dress designer, and she kind of figured I can't have this fucking kid in the way. So she gave him she gave him to his grandfather, and he never heard from his mother again hmm. from the age of six to the end of his life. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and then he yeah he ended up going back to live with his grandfather in Scotland. Um, he also has I guess he had a reputation of being a perfectionist to a fault, mm. which we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, throughout this kind of episode here. He did I and I I do have that he did get removed as the director. He was the original choice for the film uh, The Guns of Navarone. Oh wow, yeah, he did do the Sweet Smell of Success in America, which is probably his biggest uh, his biggest hit. Mm. So they've all run out of whiskey, Brendan, and it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but people are, you know, make a connection. Sergeant Odd's back on the island. I can't tell. He, is he supposed to have been from the island, or was he just deployed there? Because he knows the people there. He's returning after two and a half years. Yeah, but he doesn't speak, though. He, like, he's not a local. He doesn't speak with a Scottish accent, and he has to prove to her that he knows a little bit of Gaelic. But how many people in this movie are Scottish? <laughs> I think just about everybody except the uh, uh, Basil... What's his face? Because I have I have a thing here that the director was complaining that most of the people that worked on this movie were Irish. No, oh, well maybe they were, <laughs> but um, yeah. So Sergeant Odd's making a connection with Peggy, the daughter of McCroon, who's the guy that runs the post office, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, also one of the strong whiskey heads in town, um, and he wants to marry her, and she and she has a sister named Catriona. Who is uh, also going to marry uh, George? It was a very meek school teacher. Very meek school teacher who's got a very overbearing mother. That I would not be surprised that this inspired the people to come up with Seymour Skinner and Agnes Skinner. Uh, what? You know what? <laughs> you know what? Though you, you joke, but 
I wouldn't be surprised. No, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was in one of their heads that they'd seen this movie and, and used that as the basis. Because so, this, well, I mean, but this dynamic exists in other movies too. But but I mean, this is 1949 yeah. though. Let's mm. let's listen to the to um, a scene here between George and his mother. His mother has just found out that he's, you know, planning to marry Katrina and has tell, told her nothing. Yeah, I'm sure this is very similar to when you were planning to marry Katrina. This Your is, mother. This is exactly the scene. This is exactly how it played out with my mother. Perfect. Well, let's listen to how <laughs> it played out with Jason and his mother. Remember, mom? I know you're listening. <laughs> is there anything the matter, mother? To think that I should be hearing from others that my own son is going to be married, George Campbell. Is this true? Well, I, I only knew myself yesterday evening that Katrina was... You to stand there and tell me that you'd not been thinking of that girl until yesterday evening? Oh, oh, I'd been thinking about her, yes. Then why was I kept in the dark about your thoughts? Well, I, by, by the time I got back, you'd gone to bed. The bed I have made for myself and on which I must lie. This comes of spoiling my only childhood. Spoiling me? Spare the rod. You never did. And spoil the child. Now, look, Mother, what would have been the use of upsetting you and... You knew it should upset me. You knew it. But you went on all the same, thinking only of yourself. You've always thought only of yourself. How many times as a child have I caught you in the black currents when you knew perfectly well that I wanted all the black currents for my own charm? Mother, if I bring Katrina to tea, will you be nice to her? The day you bring Katrina McCroon into this house, I walk out. I'll go and live with your Aunt Inez in Glasgow. <laughs> also, this movie thinks that Glasgow is like the worst place on earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how it went, eh? With, with you? Absolutely. Uh, was that, yeah, a, re- was yeah. that a recording of that or the movie? It, it could have been either, but she came around on it. She was very happy. She ended up making all the food for the wedding, so it worked yeah. out real good. She, th- this, this character, by the way, the mother, who I mm. think is fantastic. Oh, she's wonderful, yeah. Um, later, she says, she makes a reference to, um, nor- uh, to North Africans being cannibals. Yeah. And says, and I'm not eating human flesh. <laughs> And, and, and no one's asking you to eat human flesh. And she's like, not yet. <laughs> Which, that, that feels like a very modern joke, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Like, not yet? That whole, that little capper there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all, all I can think of this whole time watching this movie is Passport to Pimlico. It's very, very similar. It's got a very similar vibe, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed the line when they're in the classroom with George and his students, and he's... Uh, his students are like uh, writing why they like living in the town or whatever. And the one kid ends it with, uh, he says, uh, and when there is no whiskey, we are all very sad. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Yeah. Okay. So I, I big, big broad thing here to say, not a thing about broads. No, no. Cause this, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> be in the after show, brother. Up top. Yeah. Um, this whole formula of Ealing comedies, which is clearly like a group of people up against like one unifying uh, one unifying evil force, whatever it is, right? And, and, yeah, not even evil necessarily, but authority in yeah. some way. Do you know what this reminds me of? All those shitty like eighties and nineties, especially nineties movies, where like they were going up against like an evil land developer. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and especially when you have like a cast of interesting characters. Uh, making up this group of people that, you know, that there's usually like a main character or two, but you get to see all these different personalities and they all have to kind of overcome their differences and work together. And we see that in the, yeah, in Passport to Pimlico and Local Hero and Waking the Divine. And, and even, uh, 
I, I guess, uh, Wicker Man in that everybody kind of works together to murder that guy. <laughs> I mean, ultimately... I then, mean, in that movie, they're the evil ones. But I, I mean, I mean, ultimately, Wicker Man is a movie about <laughs> unity. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. That's what I take away from it. <laughs> Um, every now, by the way, every time I see a movie about any kind of island of people that work together as a community, now, yeah. I'm like, you know what? Just a slight adjustment, and this is Wicker Man. Yeah, it's very, very easy to fall into a Wicker Man scenario. And of course, I'm talking about the original. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this movie too, I should mention, uh, is based on a real life incident, mm. uh, and it's mentioned very, it's mentioned very cheekily at the beginning of the movie, where it mentions that the the SS politician. And the uh, uh, SS cabinet minister sunk a few months apart in similar situations, but it was that it was a total coincidence. And the, so don't be saying we're telling that story. Right. But the SS politician was an actual ship that went down in 1941 off the island of Erske, and it contained 22,000 crates of whiskey and about like a few million pounds in Jamaican currency. And locals on Erske and the surrounding islands did basically. Go, like the ship was filled with seawater and engine oil, and they still dove in and got a bunch of whiskey out. And the problem was that the whiskey, and, and the, the similar conflict in the movie, is that the whiskey was not uh, didn't have a duty paid on it because it was for export only. Mm-hmm. So of course the revenue people aren't going to let that slide, and they came to the town and they arrested people. And what they well they tried to <laughs> some of them they did, some of them they didn't. The whiskey was hidden all over the place. Um, some people were arre- uh, arrested and tried and they were let off. Some people were fined, but a few people even did go to jail for, I think, terms of like a few weeks to a couple months at most. But, uh, and to this day, they still occasionally find bottles of whiskey, uh, on the island that have been hidden away. In 2020? Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. I don't know when the last time it happened, but over the years, every now and then one will pop up and, you know, gets sent to auction or something, but... I, I gotta say too, uh, as another as another big thing in this movie, I love the weird morality in the movie. Yes. So everyone, first of all, we established everyone's an alcoholic, except yes. for I would say Waggett. Yes. And Peggy and Sergeant Odd are the only two that don't drink. And I just want to play. I mean, we're gonna go all over the place, but the, I want to play the movie's ending because it tells how the whole thing wrapped yeah, up. Yeah. This this is good. Yeah. Exactly. You need to hear this ending. <laughs> Because it, it, I mean, spoiler alert, it ends very happy. They, if before that, they, yeah. um, they basically trick everyone. They, they keep all the whiskey. Yeah, they, they manage to abscond with the whiskey and get away. And, and, uh, yeah, the, the inspectors have no proof. Yeah. And then, and then they actually kind of frame Waggett too. Yeah. But, but they, they plant whiskey in his, uh, ammunitions cases. I don't know if they sends. planted it, but they were hiding the whiskey and oh, she hid okay. the whiskey in the ammunition case. And then he said the ammunition case, cause as we learned early in the movie, he had the wrong ammunition for his gun hmm. and he wanted to send the ammunition back to the mainland to get, the proper ammunition, but the but the um, the captain wouldn't take it because he didn't want to carry explosives. And he's like, "Well, you brought it in," and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't know." And then the guy's like, well, "Why don't you send the gun back? Keep the ammo and get the gun that's right for the ammo." And he's like, "I'd rather have a gun than uh, and, and no ammo than uh, ammo and no gun." <laughs> it's, it's a very like it's it's almost like Monty Python esque yeah, conversation, and, and it it yeah it plays on that idea of like the British system being this this mess of bureaucracy that just always fails. <laughs> I honestly during that scene I wrote down Brazil, yeah, yeah, because that's what it reminded <laughs> me of. Um, so yeah, let's listen to this ending. This yeah. is right after the happy ending that we get. Whiskey galore. Even after our private store was exhausted, there were stocks of legitimate whiskey. But the price went up, and then it went up again, until nobody on Tuddy could afford even a dram. 
So they all lived unhappily ever after. Oh, except Sergeant Odd and his Peggy, for they were not whiskey drinkers. And if that isn't a moral story, what is? <laughs> what a great way to totally undersell your ending, or just or undercut your ending. Yeah, like, uh, oh, but the movie at the end is basically like, oh, by the way, all these other people were kind of monsters. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, oh, yeah, it turned out well, but guess what? Afterwards, it did, did work out. <laughs> They're all still alcoholics, and eventually the whiskey gets so expensive, they can't drink it, and then everybody's sad, except for these two who don't drink, so there you go. <laughs> and it's like, to be fair, it's not even the two people we really follow through yeah. the whole movie. I, I wonder, it's almost like an Animaniacs level like uh, of, like, the what's the lesson of the week? Wheel of morality, turn, 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 you know? <laughs> like, let's just have a random lesson on the end of this so that uh, we don't encourage alcoholism. I feel like it also uh, influences things like Animaniacs, too, because I feel like those go back to a lot of old movies. Oh, absolutely. And- well, they go back, especially they go back to the old Warner Brothers stuff, and the old Warner Brothers stuff was like the Family Guy of, of today. They just pulled so much from modern pop culture and repurposed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it seems historical to us, less, but to then it was very cutting edge. Less flashback jokes. Less flashback jokes, but more like uh, Jimmy Cagney and, and uh, fucking uh, Peter Laurie. So here's the weird thing. I'm going to tell you something weird about tell this movie. Tell me something weird. Another weird thing about the director. He had a constant fight on this movie. So he's one of them directors that I think was a little difficult to work with because oh. he was such a perfectionist. In the probably, David Lean sense. Maybe not as bad as David Lean. I haven't heard of him, any, of him like kind of screaming at actors. It was more like him being angry at the mm. production company. Ah. But he, um, he got upset because he thought he, – it was in his head that throughout this whole movie, um, he thought the moral tone of the movie would be that people would be on Waggett's side. Now, Captain Waggett is the guy who is trying to find out where they've stolen all this whiskey off yeah. the shipwreck, and he thought um, it, it, it would be on uh, it would be on Waggett to foil the loot the looting that they're doing, and to to which the producer was like, "What? <laughs> what? What weird fucking ivory tower are you from, buddy?" And, and he was like, the, "The sympathy is with the Islanders and their and their you know removal of the whiskey." Yeah, and uh, McKendrick said later said, "Quote." I began to realize that the most Scottish character in Whiskey Galore was is Waggett, the Englishman. He is the only Calvinist, Puritan figure, and all the other characters aren't Scots at all. They're Irish. <laughs> now, I, I love to take a shot at the Irish as much as anyone, but the Scots love their whiskey as much as the Irish do. They just are much more dour about it. The Irish have fun. Do they? Oh, yeah. Okay. The, the Scots get drunk and just stare out at the sea. Okay. Classic, uh, <laughs> classic xenophobic, xenophobia. With Jason. Hey, they're my people, so it's not xenophobia. Uh, so the filming for this movie took place on an actual island. Um, a unit of eighty staff was on location for this. Damn, it was being filmed at the same time as Kind Hearts and Coronets and pa- Passport to Pimlico. So they had very limited space. They had no studio space. Mm. So they're like. You want to shoot this? You're going on location. We're gonna we're gonna go up to Northern Scotland to a remote island and film this movie. On the first day of filming, Jason Alexander McKendrick takes the script 
and throws it in the garbage. <laughs> and he told his two writers to rewrite it over the next two days. So I'm assuming they pulled a Vince McMahon Hulk Hogan with no holds barred and just did a bunch of cocaine yeah. in a hotel room and just wrote the shit out of it. They, they got some special 40s cocaine. It was really hard to get at that time, but they got it. Um, <laughs> he gave... Um, Compton McKenzie, the writer of the of the novel, too. Mm. Um, he gave Compton McKenzie uh, a box of cigars to, to bribe him to add material to the script from his 1943 novel, Keep the Home Guard Turning. <laughs> uh, he Compton McKenzie basically essentially played no part after the movie began filming, and he became impatient, and he said he doesn't like the movie. He didn't like the movie. But he did do the cameo in it. He insisted on having a cameo in it. And he, he plays did. the captain of the SS politician when they rescue them from the water mm-hmm. but yeah he other than that he was like i'm not so, something he said something like they they oh it's like yet again another one of my movies has gone west that, that's exactly <laughs> what he said yeah. yeah um the movie was supposed to take 10 weeks to film it took 15 yeah um because they were on a real island and there was heavy rain and gale force winds and uh they went about twenty thousand pounds over budget which of course at the time is not something to shake a stick yeah, at I, I i feel like even by then they should have known that filming in scotland is a gamble but i do think it's interesting that this is actually one of the first movies where they had a mobile film set uh, um what do you call it a mobile studio unit yeah. for filming, like they were actually able to move something around. They 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 made the church hall into like a, into a studio basically. Mm. Um, they had some real islanders in this movie as extras, and they were kind of they were kind of tilting their heads in confusion because these these were these you know not Hollywood guys but mm. these filmmakers coming in with all these fake rocks yeah. that they just threw in with the real rocks, and the <laughs> islanders are like. Is there not enough rocks? Is that really like a thing you have to do? Yeah. Like, do you need the rocks to be a controlled variable? <laughs> There's um, a certain type of rock that the English public expects to see. Here's another thing interesting because of what the movie is about. They actually had to bring three dummy cases of whiskey. So fake whiskey mm. because the in case the island ran out, the actual island ran out because of rationing at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just think I think that's I think that's interesting. The cast were mostly housed with the Islanders, which helped them to try to pick up the local accent. Mm-hmm. Worked for some, maybe not all. Um, uh, Joan actually Joan Greenwood, who plays uh, Peg, uh, Peggy, she doesn't do her own dancing though. Like yeah. she was a trained ballet dancer, but that that dancing they do yeah. uh, anytime she's dancing and it's like a close up on her feet, it's like one of the Islander guys. <laughs> Probably a union rule. Probably Haku or Tama. Yeah. One of the Islanders. One of the Islanders, absolutely. (laughs) I like the head shrinkers better. (laughs) Huss. Wait, that's the berserker. He, Alexander McKendrick also didn't care for the movie. (laughs) He basically told Gordon Jackson, the guy who plays uh, the the timid teacher George Campbell, he said, this movie is probably going to turn out to be a dull documentary on island life. He said he later said it looks like a home movie. It doesn't look like it was done by a professional at all, and it wasn't. No. <laughs> so he, and and what he means is it sounds like he's insulting himself, but he mm. feels he he basically all his crew that he got for this movie were very but much they were very green um, because yeah. like I said you had two other Ealing Studios movies filming at the time, so they had they couldn't They're, the primary guys were already occupied exactly, so they were like get your crew together. <laughs> so he didn't have yeah he didn't have a whole lot of uh, experienced people. You know the more I read about it, maybe McKendrick is a lot more like David Lean than we think. <laughs> because he's been fired on several movie sets yeah. apparently. 
Yeah, but did David Lee never get fired? Or did he have enough swing by the time was he was popular enough? I was going to say, I, I think I think David Lee could swing his dick around a lot more yeah. than most. He, McKendrick didn't have quite the same. He didn't make Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, and this is also like, you know, six years before Lady Killers too. Yeah. So it's not like he had like a movie that uh, made a lot of buck before mm. this. Um, what do you think about all the, uh, let's talk about all the subplots that are going on here. Well, so we've got uh, we got the marriage subplots. We've got the two romances. Yeah, uh, where where uh, Sergeant Odd, <laughs> and this is, must have been how they did it back then, where it's like they they knew each other previously, and he's just like, "You should marry me," and she's like, "Oh, why would I do that? You're kind of old. You're like 16 years older than me." And then he's like, "Oh, come on." And then she said, "She says, well, if you can say, uh, will you marry me in in Gaelic, then uh, I'll do it.'" And then he does, <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, you?" And then I guess they fuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, it's on screen. There's penetration. Yeah. Yeah. You so, well, I was. I must have been taking a note at that point. You tell me you missed that. Yeah, I was. I was looking down at my phone. Right. Were you taking a 20 minute note? Yeah, we, I, I mean, it was. I, tw- I write some very detailed notes. It was Brendan. 20 of these 83 minutes. Where it was just the, the <laughs> just hardcore a, fucking. Hardcore fucking. They were very ahead of their time. Yeah, I'm surprised um, this movie even got released. So, but then we've also got George, and, and who's dealing with his mom, but he's also going to marry Catriona. Uh, and his mom, obviously, we saw was pissed off about that. But yeah. but he can't get out from under her thumb. She literally grounds him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he won't leave the house. He's such a pussy. He's such a pussy. And the only thing that saves him is four shots, four drams of whiskey, because he gets a little bit of the old uh, Irish courage in him, mm-hmm. and uh, or Scottish courage, I guess, in this liquid situation, courage. the liquid courage. And the doctor, the doctor. Oh, the greatest. Oh, the doctor. The greatest doctor in history Jason, in this movie. The rest of this episode will be about the doctor. <laughs> the doctor who, who who prescribes him yet another dram and have a fifth one to be able to go talk to his mom. The same doctor that also brings tobacco to the old man who's sick in bed. Prescribes tobacco. Prescribes tobacco. And he's like, oh, we can't have you quitting smoking, too. <laughs> and then he gives him his pipe. Because he's like, oh, he's like, I don't have any All my pipe papers have crumbled and the pipe's no good and you can't get pipes. He's like, ah, here, have my pipe. I'm just that good a doctor. It's almost like they're positioning whiskey as being the thing that keeps them alive. And it kind of is. Uh, I mean, in, in a in a positive way and in a negative way, it is the thing that keeps them going. Yeah. I do like later, though, when that dude who's sick in bed just fills his, like, hot water bottle with whiskey. <laughs> just doing it. And the guy, yeah, and the police officer's like, well, it's kind of cold, and then you want me to fill it up? No, no, it's fine. I'll take care of it. And then he just pops it open and has a big swig out of it after he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so there's the two romance storylines. We got the doctor who yep. prescribes tobacco and alcohol to people. The doctor who also gets really pissed at, uh, uh Captain, what's his name? Taggett? Waggett. Waggett. Captain Waggett, because Captain Waggett insists on setting up a roadblock on the island, even though as, as Sergeant Odd points out, there's only one road on the island, so they could just go around the other way. Can we listen to the roadblock <laughs> Okay, yeah, please do. <laughs> it's not good enough, you know. Every time they move that roadblock, it's longer than the last. How do you account for that? Well, I, I wouldn't say they were doing too badly, sir. It's pretty heavy going, you know. All right, Sergeant, we'll see it again. Right, once again, men, move. It's very discouraging. Yes, sir. Just one point it did strike me, sir. What's that? Well, sir, if this is the only road round the island, all the jury would need to do in theory would be to turn around and come here the other way. Yes. I was wondering when you were going to think of that. You should have pointed that out to me before, Mr. Campbell. Well, it's easy enough to put it right, sir. I mean, say, if you have them at all, I suggest you buy a couple more roadblocks, that's all, sir. Mm. Put that in hand. Yes, sir. 
So we should point out too, uh, so so Captain Waggett is the head of the local division of the Home Guard. Now the Home Guard is the... We saw them a little bit in Hope and Glory. Yeah, they're they're the uh, home defense. It's generally the either really young kids that are too young to lie about their age to join the army or they're the guys that are the veterans that are like in their 50s and 60s and are too old to send out to frontline combat. But they, they are like the home defense, so they are tasked with setting up the homeland for defense in case the Germans invade. Now, as we know, with historical, uh, you know, 2020 hindsight... The Germans did invade, and Europe was New Germany for 20 years. No, I think that's a Harry Turtle Love book you read. What oh, actually okay. happened was that uh, the Germans... The only piece of English territory the Germans invaded was the Jersey Isles, um, and, yeah. not, and not the Isle of Toddy. So, but they were there preparing for the defense, and putting up roadblocks and things were things that they did. But it also is kind of silly because, you know, they're not they're not the real army in the sense that they're not out there fighting the Germans on the front lines. But they're also, if the Germans get there, they're the last line of defense. It is funny, though, because, like, the last, I mean, this and the last movie kind of painted the Home Guard as a bit of a joke. Yeah, well, and that's kind of come across in, I think, British TV history especially because if you've ever heard of a show called Dad's Army, I think we've mentioned it when we were talking about uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. But, yeah, Dad's Army was about the Home Guard and it was a bunch of silly characters. You know, it was a sitcom. So people have a view of it based on that. Mm. But it was a very important role. And, you know, uh, Operation Sea Lion was a real plan the Germans had. So it was a distinct possibility that they could have invaded. And if they had have, it would have been those old guys and young kids fighting them. So, yeah, so we're talking about Captain Waggett. So Captain Waggett, stand-up guy. Yeah. Uh, no. It's yeah. No. What I was saying is he's there to be the home guard. Yeah. He's there to um, protect the the shipwreck yeah. of whiskey from getting taken. And well, I, well, he decides that that should be his job. He believes yeah. that somebody has to take responsibility for this wreck because we have the question of maritime salvage laws, and he, he thinks that he needs to go protect it to protect it from the locals, whom he is convinced will go steal the whiskey. And he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. But even though he calls his superior, and his superior is like, "Well, save me some." Yeah, like he, <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. No, he's like, I don't care. Like, yeah. why are you spending your time on this? Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is the way they tie the stories together because he gets Sergeant Odd to take first watch. Yes. To make sure no one goes out there. And oh, however, oh. Sergeant Odd has a conflict of interest. Yes, because he, well, he's into Peggy. Yes. And old Joseph McCroon is around the, the, yeah. her father and says, "Well, lad," basically like you know. If you uh, if you want to marry her, you have to have this festival. What is it called? A Riker? That was I, I was trying to figure it out because we did. And my wife and I at our wedding, we did something kind of similar where we had a bottle of scotch and we poured out a couple of drinks and had the family take sips of it. And all praise to my Grammy Jean for taking a sip. She's like eighty six and she just fucking took it like a champ. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it's basically they need seven gallons of whiskey per couple mm-hmm. for this tradition the, that they have to do before they get married and yeah, everybody I mean, gets hammered. He says, well, you, if, you, if you're going to have this celebration, you're going to have to have whiskey. Yeah. And we don't have any whiskey and the whiskey be on that boat, lad. Yeah. The boat you're guarding. And so what that leads to is a funny scene where he has to take the watch. Like a leprechaun? I don't know. You don't understand what Scottish and Irish are and the difference Ooh, between them. Oh, you know what you got to do now, laddie? Burn mm. the house down. Yeah, there we go. Burn them all. Burn them all. So he is put on watch by Captain Waggart. Uh, Waggart. Waggart. Did I say Waggart? You did. Waggart. Not, not Jimmy Swaggart or Jimmy Swiggart. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Um, so yeah, so he's put on watch to keep an eye on the ship to make sure that nobody goes out and gets it. Because on Sunday, so on Sunday they're all going to go get it, but then they get chastised because it's the Sabbath. Yes. And they're not allowed to do shit like that in the Sabbath. So they all, you know, 
sadly go to church and then wait. But the minute the fucking clock strikes midnight, they all run out to the boats. And so they're getting ready to do that. And Sergeant Odd is on watch. And uh, three of the gentlemen try to sneak up from behind him to like tie him up. And he notices them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and they're like, we were doing the Panther walk. Like you told us. And he's like, I'll try again. He's like, you guys go back. I'll turn around. You try again. And they kind of walk up to him. And, and he's like, no, no, grab my arms hard. And then they grab his arms. And he's like, yeah, there you go. And then they like tie him up and leave him there. <laughs> so he just lets them go. And they go out and they steal, Jesus, seven, I think, seven rowboats worth of fucking whiskey. It's a harrowing scene because the yeah. boat nearly capsizes and, and, and kills them. Yeah. Uh, so in the boat, the, the one of the guys gets uh, caught under a bunch of crates of whiskey and George has to go back in and save him. After George had snuck out of his mom's house, he had like climbed out the window like a teenager to go do this. <laughs> Fell from a great distance. He, yeah, he dropped down pretty hard. I've dropped that far before. It's not pleasant. Um. Shall we, uh, shall we listen to the Sabbath moment? I do yeah, want to play okay, it. Yeah, okay, play the Sabbath moment. <laughs> Sabbath! 12 o'clock already. She may have gone down by now. Aye. 12 o'clock. Aye, what of it? It's the morning of the Sabbath. The Sabbath? The Sabbath. Aye, the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. 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 What was the the Sabbath. We could not be breaking the Sabbath. Oh, stung their crows. Uh, the saddest group of people ever going to church. Yeah, they're very sad. And, <laughs> and I like that over the course of the day, you see them in their church clothes just standing on the on the hill, looking out on the water, just like, oh, can't wait till we get there. <laughs> well, and like, and like, as far as I know about the Sabbath, it's a 24-hour period. Yeah. Uh, or I guess 12 hours. Because it's like noon till midnight, right? Or is that supposed to be midnight? No, I think that was supposed to be midnight. Okay, so midnight. They're midnight. doing a lot of day for night in this movie. That's true. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. Uh, 24 hours um, where you're not supposed to work or do anything like that, right? You're yeah. supposed to observe God, basically? Yeah, I didn't realize they were this hardcore about it, like Israeli-level hardcore about the Sabbath. But hey, you know, some people are. I guess in the book... Um, the island of Toddy is split into two sections. Well, there's two different islands in the book. Yeah. There's a greater Toddy and, and a little Toddy. And greater Toddy is all Protestant. And little Toddy is all Catholic. And where does hot Toddy fall? I don't know. But uh, I would imagine there's some tensions there because the Protestants would be less uh, less excited about the liquor, I imagine, than the Catholics would be. Because mm-hmm. Catholics never really had a problem with liquor because it's actually part of their their sacrament. But traditionally, the, uh, the uh, prohibitionists have been of the Protestant variety, especially the evangelical. Although that's more in the States than in uh, Great Britain. Um, actually, I wanted to mention something too that's kind of interesting about this movie. So first of all, I think Alexander McKendrick was also not very happy because they re-edited his movie. Ah, and directors never like that. No, and I mean, I don't blame them. No, exactly. Um, they, um... Release the McKendrick cut! <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> hashtag release the McKendrick cut. Is he going to tweet about it now? I hope so. He's still alive, right? Surely. Uh, born in 1912. Yeah, I know, easily. That's good. Um, 
108. I did want to say, um, actually, two connections to another movie that we've talked about, Jason. Mm. Two connections from the same movie that we talked about. Oh. The original guy that they offered to direct this movie was Ronald Neem. And Ronald Neem, you may remember that name because he is the one who designed the uh, St. Trinian's artwork or St. Trinian's cartoons. I absolutely do not remember that, but thank you for telling me. But uh, they, he was going to be the director. But he so they're going to hire a cartoonist to direct the movie? Was yeah. it going to be his first movie? I guess so. Wow. Um, I didn't do enough research. <laughs> but what's funny is another person, a person who was almost cast in this movie was Alistair Sim. Yes. And, and I believe he his reasoning. Joseph McCroon. Yes. And his reasoning was he didn't want to be cast as a professional Scotsman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like, Alistair, you fucking dummy. You would have been in another movie we were discussing. Yeah. He would have been great in this movie. Oh, I'm just thinking he's dumb because he's not featured on a podcast. Yeah, no. Absolutely. That was a mistake on his part. That was, it was. His people really should have gotten back to us. <laughs> Has he been on before? He's been on before. Oh, must have been. Maybe at Christmas when we watched Christmas Carol. I'm sure he's been on this show. He's, Surely. He's, he's spoken before our episode has started before. Yes, he's, I'm uh, sure I have. Goodbye, I'm out oh, of here. I just I, wanted to stop in to say that, yes, I have been on the show, and I'm not going to do it again for some time. Oh, that's too bad. Yes, I hate you both. Goodbye. Oh, wow. Okay. Alec Guinness's longtime rival, Alistair Sim. Mm. Yes, they, they really did hate each other. <laughs> it's well documented. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm most blown away by McKendrick thinking that people would side with Waggett. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just, I don't know how he grew up, but if he grew up in like a more like middle or upper middle class or upper class environment, maybe that's why. I mean, I doubt it. He lost both parents pretty early yeah, on and he was true. sent to live with his grandfather. I mean, unless maybe his grandfather, his grandfather was, was an elitist. Maybe. Um, so how when you when you kind of think of other Elin comedies we've done? I mean, we've done Passport to Pimlico, we've done The Lady Killers, we've done movies like that. Yeah, how does this kind of fall on that? On that, it's not my favorite of them. I think yeah. I I think I like Passport to Pimlico a lot more. I think I do too. Overall, I do like the the conceit of this movie, and I like that it mm-hmm. is um, uh, kind of a blueprint for movies to come as well. In that style, I mean, along with Password to Pimlico, doesn't this doesn't this kind of go into the argument where just because it's the first time something's worked, it shouldn't just automatically mean it's the best one? No, not necessarily. And that's kind of one of the reasons we we know there is a remake of this movie that stars Eddie Izzard as mm-hmm. uh, uh, Captain Waggett. Yeah, and I'm actually really interested to see that version because I would like to see a modern take on that idea, punched up with modern humor. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think that they could really make it a really funny movie. Uh, so, I know because this movie is the movie's funny, but it's more of like kind of a chuckle to yourself, funny, not like a laugh out loud. I'm on the floor rolling around, funny. Now maybe it was in 1949 when it came out, and maybe it resonated with the people of Great Britain in a way that it doesn't with me. But yeah, it, it it's just more of like, oh yeah, hi, that's kind of hilarious. So it's Alexander McKendrick. So did you like it better than Lady Killers? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say I did like it better than Lady Killers. I was less bored by it, that's for sure. <laughs> I figured, I figured that would be your takeaway. Yeah. Um, and I just like the it, it had some interesting uh, scenery in it. Um, I like the bartender. We didn't mention the bartender. The bartender who that sold them all them out. out. Yeah. yeah, who sells them all out for obvious reasons because he's like, yeah, I'm not going to fucking uh, ruin my business because you guys have a bunch of free whiskey. Well, because he still gets shipments. Yeah, he got a shipment of four bottles of Johnny Walker whiskey. And then nobody wants them because they got all the stolen yeah, whiskey. Yeah, they got all, they all got their own free I'm whiskey. i lose my business. Y'all can fuck off. Yeah, exactly. It's no wonder. Also, with him, did you notice there's a weird scene? I don't know if this is like a post-production thing that was done. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, sorry, I thought you were going to say, I don't know if this is a post credit scene. No, no. <laughs> 
I don't know if this was done as a post-production sometime way after the fact or at the time, but uh, when he's in the crowd scene where he reveals that he was the guy that had, had said that, um, that he told them where, where the whiskey was in the, in the cave, it had this weird zoomed-in effect on him. Like, his... His like it was because we saw the wide shot right, and mm. then it was like an artificial zoom in on him, uh, maybe specifically to draw attention to him in that scene. But it just seemed like it was like one of those like kind of zooms that they would do in Disney to cut out racist shit that was happening along the outside, so that they could just pretend that didn't happen. What are you talking about? Yeah, that now yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no. Disney's a perfectly fine company, and they've never said anything bad about it. Fantasia anybody. is n- nope, yeah, nothing. No, nope. Song of the South doesn't exist because no. it's not on Disney it's not, Plus. It's not a real movie. It's not, it's not on Disney Plus. That's it just can't be a, real. that was a rumor. Yeah, I mean to be fair, that guy won an Academy Award for a rumor, <laughs> and it's only happened one other time yeah. since then uh, when Sinbad won for Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be hey, you know what? To their credit. They left a lot of the racist shit in with a with a little uh, disclaimer. So hey, get on them. Yeah, admit your admit your own failings. Yeah, I wish they would do that. Though again, I kind of wish they would put Song of the South on there. As much as I don't know that it would be a helpful movie to have, especially now. See, it I feel be... like they don't want to put it on because that's the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I would appreciate the context. Like they did all the DVDs stuff, like the war stuff with Leonard Maltin, who would come on and be like, "Hey, this stuff might be super racist, but that was what it was at the time. So bear that in mind when you watch it." And. I mean, there is a cartoon right now on Disney Plus where they are chasing uh, Native American characters who are made from the red colors on screen. Like, they they run past some trees or something. Is this like, like a short? Yeah. And, like, the red, like, makes up their skin. It's, oh, yeah. It's classic. It's, it's all bad. Classic, yeah. All bad. Uh, but did they, and they've cut out all the smoking? No. Oh, no, they have the one where Goofy's smoking? Oh, I don't know if they if they have that cartoon, but there there are lo- there's lots of smoking in the mm. cartoons in the movies. Good, good kids smoke. It's great. <laughs> don't listen to Jason. <laughs> he doesn't even smoke cigarettes anymore. <laughs> but I will not be in the pocket of the vape industry. There you go. So um, whiskey galore, whiskey Jason. galore. Do you want some bits and bobs? I'm well, checking my list here. I mean, we don't. I, I'm just gonna say. This was this was a I mean we'll get to our opinions but this is a romp this is just a bit of a, yeah. a fun romp but like there's not a whole lot of like there's not a whole lot of like insight yeah. other than stuff that happened behind the scenes for the most part no this is I think a perfect movie for a post war audience for an audience that had been through six years of fucking horror you know in the years after the war when rationing is still going on right we remember that rationing from oh I remember. Rationing still going on, and, still, and life still kind of sucks. Even if the war is over, and you know, at least you don't have to worry about being bombed from the air. Life still kind of sucks, and this is the perfect kind of escape movie. And and the people of this time would be able to relate to it because they'd all dealt with rationing. They were still dealing with it. They knew they couldn't get the stuff that they necessarily wanted. And, it would have uh, ended around this time because I remember when we talked about brief encounter. Yeah, but it wasn't fully their... rationing. Fully wasn't lifted until about 1952. I think oh, okay. they said the last bit of it. You know, obviously by that point it was only certain things, but. Um, the fact that it was still going on at all. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I got here? Oh, um, so the the style, I, I do like this kind of movie. We talk about voiceover. Yeah. I think in, in this movie it works because it's like silly <laughs> yeah, and goofy and everything. Yeah. But didn't it feel to you like it's one of, like when it started and the narrator's like, oh, like, this is Toddy, blah, 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 blah. It felt like one of those like promotional tourist videos. <laughs> a little you show, bit. Like, like, 
Come to Toddy, city of a thousand lakes. It had that feel to it, but then it really picked up later on when they got when they finally got the whiskey the first time, and the narrator comes on and he's hammered <laughs> and he's just drunk. Like ah, people of Toddy had a great time. <laughs> I don't even remember that. Yeah, there's a part with that. Yeah, you go back, go back, watch it again. Okay, I just will. Just for that part. I will. I'll, I'll bust out my DVD. <laughs> But that made me laugh anyways. I, I like that kind of meta approach to stuff like having the narrator be drunk in the scene. And I also want to mention the random fact that uh, uh, Captain uh, Waggett, as played by Basil, was a Rathbone? No. Radford. Radford. Basil is a different guy. He's, he's Rad Radford's uncle. Basil Radford served in World War One, and you'll notice in the movie he has a scar on his cheek that he received during a trench raid and got wounded. So some German probably uh, gave him a little cut there. That See, he had a little memor- a little memento to his time in your in uh, in France. Well, now isn't that interesting? And I know you said that that happened to the actor, but isn't that interesting to, as an addition to the character? Because yeah. you're kind of like, oh, how did, maybe he got that and was like, I'm out and got into the home guard. Well, that's the thing. A lot of World War One vets, that's what they did. You know, it's like, well, I served my time. I went to your, I went to France already. I'm not going back, but I'll I'll join the home guard. My great grandfather did a similar thing. He was in uh, World War One as a quartermaster, and then in World War Two, he served in the Canadian version of the home guard. I thought when you said quarter, I thought you were going to say he was a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he was a quarterback in the trench. Yeah, he he was the guy that threw the grenades. <laughs> Hike. <laughs> uh, so your so grandfather yeah. killed some Germans. Congrats. I mean, maybe. I don't know. He was a quartermaster, so he was handing out supplies. But I bet you, if Jerry got in his face, he'd stab him in the throat. No problem. I don't know if he could say Jerry anymore. I I can't see if there's if there's one pre- if there's one group of people in the world we could still be racist against it's the Germans they deserve it if white people can't be racist to white people who can we be racist to because we got to be racist to somebody right I don't like how you're framing this <laughs> we got to be racist to other white people because they deserve it is that is that racist or is that just a... I don't know <laughs> you know what I, I give the Germans credit they got a pretty good sense of humor. <laughs> Jason, <laughs> move on. Why you call this man tiny? He is actually quite large. <laughs> oh, another line I like at this point, when they're talking about George, so George gets the whiskey in him and he finally gets the confidence to go confront his mother and they're talking about him. And I don't know, it was a, somebody says, it might have been the doctor, says it's a known fact that some men are born two drinks below par. Yes. So for George, it's just a question of getting those two drinks in him to get him back up to where everybody else is. <laughs> I, 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 that's the scene, and I'm glad you brought that up because I want to play this scene right okay, now. Yeah, George yeah. finally standing up to his mother because of whiskey. Yes. Again, weird morality in this movie. <laughs> Wait a bit, Doctor. He may be needing your services. East girl, you've got a fine lad there. It's a well-known medical fact that some men are born two drinks below par. Oh, it's not your fault. You've been spoiled, spoiled by me. I've let you have your own way far too long. No more of that now. Katrina and I are getting married next month. I've told you my terms, and if you don't like them, you can go to... You can go to Glasgow. George Campbell. Satan himself is in you. You come home drunken, debauched, and, and shameless, bringing that wanted creature to my very door. To think that your father's son would... would... <laughs> By the way, at the end of that scene, what you heard was George just pulling out bagpipes yeah. and playing. That scene, I was like, 
What just happened? That was that was a proto troll, is what that was. That was that was an early example of trolling in the forties of like mom going off and him just being like "fuck your mom" and playing the bagpipes to shut her up. Like, well, and I think I think the song he plays though is the song that plays later while they're having the celebration before getting married. So maybe that's also him being like, "Nope, I'm getting married. You're gonna hear this." And that is when we finally see a little bit of a crack in the mother's exterior where she, she drinks whiskey. Well, well, she's at the party and everybody's having a good time, and she's got this puss on her face, you know, because she's this very stuck up, like oh liquor. And she's Satan got this, and all this. So she's got what? She got a puss on her face. Oh, that there's another sex scene. No, no, Brendan. Puss just meaning like 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 a puss. You can't see it, folks. But Brendan can. See what I mean? Yeah, she so got a, a vagina. No, that's not what I'm intending. That's not what I'm trying to show you. It's like this. See. <laughs> <laughs> you just look like you're constipated. Yeah, 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 there you go. So she got a bit of a puss on her face, and they keep uh, bringing whiskey around, and, and they put a shot of whiskey down beside her. And she, like, glances at it and then looks away, and his head, and the puss stays on her face, and she glances at it and looks away. And then it cuts away, and when it cuts back to her, she's got this happy smile on her face, and beside her is an empty glass. <laughs> so good for her. And again, that reminded me of my Grammy Jean at the wedding, because my Grammy Jean, I can't, I bet you that was the first taste of alcohol she'd had in probably 50, 60 years knowing her and, uh, but she was game and I respect her. I like the scene where, uh, when Waggett is first setting up the roadblock and, uh, that doctor just wants to get home. Yes. And he's like, Oh, I don't know if you're a German. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I like that that sort of comes back around later when they send out the dude to go like stand there and guard the road. And he's like, uh, if they don't have the password, don't let them through. And he says, well, what's the password gotta be? And he's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be a password. And he's like, go oh, tell him the password's whiskey. And he's like, the password is whiskey. So he gets all dressed up in his uniform and he goes out to the road and he stops uh, the inspector and, and wag it. And wag it yeah. Um, when they, when they get there and he's like, I can't let you pass. Uh, I'm on orders of captain Waggett that I can't let anybody pass unless they have the password. He's like, but I'm captain Waggett. He's like, yes, you are. <laughs> and, and so he won't let them by until he says something about them looking for whiskey. And he goes, Oh, that's the password whiskey. Go on through. <laughs> I love that trope in movies. It's like, um, when, when, when they don't know the password or something and they just say it in a sentence and the person goes, that's it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't just get to say it in a sentence. You have to say the password is whiskey. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah, exactly. Just, he heard the word and that was good enough for him. Also, yeah. I love that guy's mother who's this just cute ancient Scottish lady who only speaks Gaelic. <laughs> she just amuses me. I like her. Oh, the one that's pouring whiskey down the sink? Yes, yes. Oh, and then they have that, yeah, where they're hiding the whiskey. I love that bit where they're hiding the whiskey and they put the whiskey in like where the water is stored. And so after everybody leaves, uh, uh, McCroon goes over and he pulls out a glass of what was supposed to be water, but it ends up being whiskey and he just takes it, doesn't even react. It just drinks it. That's how, <laughs> that's how much of an alcoholic they yep. are. <laughs> um, they also hide, I like that they hide it in like the aluminum siding on the side of the house. Yes. <laughs> it's just always. They put, I love when they put it under the baby. They like, they just take out a baby bassinet. They put two bottles of whiskey and they put like a pillow over top of it and then shove a baby on top of it. And the baby's just like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. When that guy says, are you blind? And he says, I'm quite sober. <laughs> And of course, at the end, so when the when the chase is happening, so they're oh, going out to the well, cave. I was gonna say, well, yeah, explain the chase. So they're the the inspector and Taggart are going out to the cave, Wagget. and Waggett. Damn it! I keep thinking of Flynn Taggart, the name for the guy from Doom in the and, novels. At, at this point, Waggett thinks he has the upper hand. Thinks he has the upper hand. Yeah, he thinks he's tricked them. Yeah, because he originally had told them that he was going to the mainland to meet the colonel, and and he called the colonel because he knew that Peggy would be listening in. So to feed them false information, very World War II, very crazy. Um, so 
Yeah. Um, but he actually brings in some inspectors. But he actually brings in the inspectors, and they go, and but they manage to hide everything. They get wind of it because the old man sees the boat coming in. The old mm-hmm. man that was in the bed that had the hot water bottle full of whiskey, he sees them coming in, so he runs down. Obviously, the whiskey made him better because before he was bedridden. Now he's all of a sudden able to get out of bed, not only get out of bed, but run down the stairs and run out to the phone booth. Whiskey. Yeah, whiskey, exactly. To call in to let them know that, that uh, uh, Waggett is back and he's got an inspector with him probably. So they put all the whiskey away. They don't find anything. But then uh, uh, Waggett tells them, like, hey, I know where the cave is where they're storing it. So we'll go out there. So, of course, they know that. And they all head out there first. They take a truck out. They put all the whiskey on the truck. And they get just away, just as the car is coming around the way. And they go into the cave. It's not there. But they but they see the tire track, so they take off after them. And so they go after whatever. And so it turns into a car chase. And it's actually a pretty... Interestingly filmed car chase. Yeah, like, it's pretty it, good. Like they they were doing the where the bit where they have the camera mounted to the back bumper of the car that's filming and they were and they had the car following, so it was like a you know, like in motion shot. It was really cool. Um and and, and they have a great gag at the end of this is when Waggett and the inspectors like crash into basically like a barbed wire fence. Yes. And this whole time the inspector has this little thing where he's just like trimming his nails. Yes. And throughout throughout his the weird, movie. His weird little like character bit is that he has little scissors and he's always trimming his nails. Which pays off here because then he's like, well we'll have to cut our way out and silently the inspector just holds up his tiny little clippers yeah, and hands you're like, him over. <laughs> they're gonna be there a while. Um so yeah, also during this scene we get some proto Dukes of Hazard shit where we have tires squealing on dirt roads, which is fun. Yeah, that's um, what happens. So, uh, anyways, before that barbed wire happens, they they run out of gas in the truck. So what do they do? They grab some of the fucking whiskey, they dump it in the tank, and of course that supercharges the truck, and they take off down the road and get away. That's science, right? That's absolutely science. Uh, and that's kind of how the movie ends uh, until we get the little postscript that says that no, actually everything was terrible except for the people that didn't drink. Yep. Um, I just want to see if I have any bits and bobs here that we didn't mention. Oh, I also wanted to mention that Peggy is played by a British woman, Joan Greenwood, maybe? Or yes. J- is that her name, Greenwood? Yep. Is it? Mm-hmm. For sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, she's British. Her Scottish accent is terrible. It's hilarious. It's It, it sounds like a grandmother doing a Scottish accent. Oh, it's very and like this. Do you find, do you, do you think she sounded like, well, I mean, she's British, obviously. Yeah. But do you just find she sounded like a British Marilyn Monroe at times? A little bit. She got, well, because like, she's got a bit of a husky oh, voice, yeah. She's got that husky voice, yeah, and she was known for that, that actress. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't know anything about Joan Greenwood. Uh, that, that was one of the few things I noticed. I didn't read her Wikipedia article in depth, but I noticed it said, the famous, famous for her husky voice. Yeah. Did you notice that Waggett's boss's phone code was 666? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, it is Wicker Man. Yep. And that man, the colonel, did not want to hear from him. He did not give a shit about him. He didn't want to talk to him. At all. The only well, other... also because Waggett calls him at three in the morning to tell him there's a ship full of whiskey, and he's like, "What the fuck do you want me to do about it?" The um, by the way, the whole thing with the in- inspectors going door to door and everything—that yeah. felt like weirdly like Nazi esque. Yeah, no, it was, but it was one of those probably wartime things you could get away with it. But these guys weren't even working for like MI six or something; they were working for the internal customs. Like it was all about taxes. It was about making sure that these people weren't getting whiskey for free without paying the fucking tax on it. I, but I, I mean, like even not even just the act of what they're doing, but even mm. just the aesthetic. Yeah, like these, they're all. I mean, 
obviously the Nazis had u- different uniforms, but they're all dressed. They're dressed all in black. There's yeah. even a shot where they're all just standing on the, the hill. The, the, the combination, the, whole thing. the combination of the black trench coats and the hat seemed very Gestapo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just it had that it had that feeling, and I'm I'm sure I think that was intentional, hundred percent. Probably. I like the. Uh, the but moment. also, those that was a real thing at the time. I mean, it was war, right? Yeah. I like the moment at the uh, at the roadblock where Waggett says. Uh, if this, if they really thought we were Germans, there'd be sniper fire right now. And then all, all the sniper fire starts going off. He's like, "Don't worry, they're blanks." And it goes off again. He starts hiding. Ducks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, okay, I do um, one more clip I want to play, and it's the, it's the, I call it the happy whiskey song. Mm. Is when they all have their whiskey and they're just happily singing. Yes, <laughs> just start making noises. Yeah, this is great. I'm gonna make it my ringtone. But that's, you know, that's the sort of thing when you're drinking to that extent and you get your friends all start singing. That's a great time, isn't it? I thought the, uh, I think the alternate ending of the film was they all die of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, pretty much. That's the David Fincher ending. <laughs> he takes it in a different direction. And then blows up the local credit card building. And then you hear, oh, stop. <laughs> With your feet on the yeah, end, your head on, on the ground. ground. Now, 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 Try now. this whiskey and spin it. Down. Yeah. Whoever it lands on, you have to kiss and spin the bottle. Where is my, my mind? mind? Yeah. Where is my mind? Where is my <gasps> mind? Oh my god. That's Way out song. in the water, see it swimming. Dude. Yeah. This, yeah, that's what they were talking this about. This film inspired Fight Club. Fight Club is a stealth <laughs> remake of Whiskey Galore. <laughs> because Fight Club wrote that Pixie song. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Fight Club. The novel wrote that song. <laughs> Fight Club. Like, I w- Chuck Palahniuk wrote Fight Club, the novel, which then wrote that song for the Pixies. No, no, not the original Fight Club novel. The mm. novelization of the film based the on the novel. The junior novelization of Fight Club? <laughs> yes. Which I love. It's a great one. What? Who would you fight? I would fight Tinky Winky from... Oh, for a second you had me going. Yeah. That it was real. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my shit. Why, don't, why aren't we reading that right now? I did read the junior novelizations of both Star Trek Generations, which is a fucking terrible movie, and the junior novelization of Jurassic Park, which is a pretty good movie, but it was a pretty... Uh, a, a pretty good movie. Yeah. And and the funny thing about the Star Trek Generations junior novelization is that in the movie, there's the scene where they're crashing down to Viridian 3 and Data, who has the emotion chip, goes, oh, shit. And in the in the junior novelization, he goes, oh, no. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say, oh, snap. <laughs> oh, snap. No, it was 1994. So okay. That was pre-snap, at least for white people. <laughs> and it should have been pre mm. For white people, mm. always. Mm. Mm. We should always be living in the pre-snap for white people era. We have to, we have to, we have, as white people, we have to acknowledge the language that is cool and just let the cool people use it. <laughs> um, okay, well, Jason, I don't have a lot to say about award season. Because yeah. the BAFTAs, I don't believe, were even a thing yet. 
It was the, the Imperial British Film Awards as presented by King George. So the, the BAFTAs were a thing, but didn't, didn't yeah. do anything. No Oscars, obviously. No. Um, but it was well-received. Yeah. Uh, came out the same year as Passport to Pimlico and Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is one we haven't done yet. Yeah. Uh, leading to 1949 being remembered as one of the peak years of the Ealing comedies. Um, in the U.S., Whiskey Galore was renamed Tight Little Island. What? <laughs> what the fuck? Really? Tight Little Island. Tight Little Island. I think people would have been misled as to what this fucking movie was about, being called Tight Little Island. Even in 1949. Was, come on. It was put on a double feature with Beach Bl- Blanket Bingo. Of course, yeah. Tight Little Island and Beach Blanket Bingo. Jesus, fuck. Uh, it became the um, it became the first one, though, from Ealing Studios to actually achieve quite a bit of success in the States. Wow. Um, well, with a name like Tight Little Island, I mean, shit, it must have made some money. It was followed by a sequel called Rockets Galore. Yes. Which is, which is also a book. But also barely a sequel? Well, it's 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 a sequel in the sense that it's a similar setup, and I think there are some characters that carry over, but overall it's about the British, in World War II, the British government wanting to build like a rocket base in, in, in Toddy, and then, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's really notable. But either way... Um, then it gets remade in 2016, and we'll talk about that one day. Yeah, with Eddie Izzard. I love Eddie Izzard. Do you have a flag? Well, you can't very well. This can't very well be your land if you don't have a flag. I liked all his lines in, uh, uh, the Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. All none of them? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he might have said one thing. Oh, yeah, he, he said, did. Ah! You're right, you're right. Yeah, when they knocked him off the thing, yeah. yeah. Um, so Jason, I'll ask you, since yes. we've come to that point in the show. What do you think about this movie? Number 24. Yeah, I don't know mind. Don't know if it should be that high. Yeah. Uh, I liked it, though. I enjoyed it. It's mm-hmm. a fun, innocent little Sunday afternoon movie to watch with your grandma. But you, but why do you... Okay, but like, let's... Why do you think it's 24? I, I, you know what? I, I was trying to wrap my mind around that. Well, it's an Ealing movie, which probably helps. Um, I think it really did help establish this genre, along with Pimlico and, and uh, is, is the other one. I think it's a similar kind of setup where it's like a group of people against an authority. The Cornets one. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, no, that's not what that one is no. about at all. Okay. Well, yeah. this and Pimlico, for sure, helped establish this kind of formula. And, and it's very important for that. And kind of reminds a, me of like St. Trinian's too. Yeah, and it's a cool story and it reflects the people of Scotland and it reflects the attitudes of the time mm-hmm. and, and it is reminiscent of the war and what they went through and, and, you know, the home guard and everybody pulling together, even if it's to steal whiskey from a sunken ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As one does. But yeah, and I, I feel like this is probably an important movie to the British psyche. Like Like I said, after the war, people wanted relief from that horror and movies like this were great ways to relate, but also enjoy the the fun of it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why it's important to the BFI. Now, for us, I don't know. I don't know what you think of it. I think it's not the funniest movie I've seen on the list, list but I get why it's there. I don't know if I'd rate it quite as high myself, mm-hmm. but... To me, um, I definitely think Pimlico was a better film. I agree with that. It does make me appreciate that movie a little more. Yeah. Um, not, to, not to say that this is bad. Like no. you said, I think it's a no, perfectly it's, it's fine Sunday afternoon you, you know, you want to watch something light and you don't want to think about it. Put on Whiskey Galore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't like the, see the, the weaknesses for this one is like, I feel like the characters are not quite as interesting as they were in Passport to Pimlico or like Bells of St. Trinian's and yeah. like, you know, movies like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the similar problem that we had with, um, well, with, um, Lady Killers, mm. where with Peter Sellers, we, where you've got Peter Sellers, who's who, I mean, obviously it's in hindsight, but this great comedic actor who they barely do anything with, and and most of those guys felt very similar, other than a couple of tiny little 
differences. And it's similar here. It's like, oh, they're all Scottish alcoholics, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there's a few that I like. I mean, like, Waggot's like the, great. Waggot and, is and, great. And the, the, I like The Old Man. Well, that's that movie. It's a film I would recommend for a fun time. Yeah, check it out. You, you can't go wrong with this movie. You won't, you won't waste your time watching it. Great. So, check it out. But now, but now, Jason, it's time. It's time. It's time for it's the time. next week's movie. <gasps> Wait, we're going to record that right now? Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. We'll watch it. We'll record it. I'll be out of here by three in the morning. <laughs> if you're lucky. So what are we doing right now, Jason? We are going to roll two dice, two D10, a red one, a green one, a tens one, a ones one. And we're going to find out what movie we're going to watch next week. Thanks to the random gods of dice intervention. Yeah, because we're going to do the number that you la- that your dice lands on. That's that right. It, on this list, it corresponds with the British film. And it may take us nine or ten rolls at this point because we're over halfway done, but so be it. Yeah. Are we ready? I'm ready. What do All we got for right. tens? Here we go. Tens dice. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our tens number is 90. Could we carry on up the Kyber, Brendan? Finally. <laughs> could be. I really hope so. We, we could finally few. do that we one. And here we are. 90. No, we already done Hope and Glory. All right, all right, here we go. One more time, back to it. They don't want us to do Carry On at the Kyber. Yeah, no, then at all. We're never going to watch that movie. It'll never happen. It's going to be the last episode. Yeah. 90. Oh, okay, here wow. we go. Come all on, right. come on, come on. 93. No, we can't do Caravaggio We again. already, oh, no, let's not. Let's please not. <laughs> wow. Caravaggio. Oh. All right, here we go. 30. We're a little higher now. Can you take me higher? Quite a few, 30, actually. 33. Jesus number. Oh, this is one I've been interested uh, interested in doing, Jason. We are doing the 1966 film starring Sir Michael Caine. Ooh. And it's called Alfie. Oh, I thought you were going to say Get Carter. No. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. We're doing the Alfie. film about the aging Lothario. Was that also remade with... Uh, no, that was Ewan McGregor that remade Jude that? Jude Law. Jude Law. Yeah. I always confuse those two. So what's it all about? We'll tell you next week. Next week, yeah. Alfie. We're not going to do it now. Fuck you. It's, it's a play on the song. Oh. What's it all about, Alfie? Oh. I don't think Michael Caine's singing himself. <laughs> what, what, what about that song, Alfie, by um, that singer? Lily Allen, her brother Alfie, who was in Game of Thrones. You never heard that song, Alfie? No. Where she complains about him being a lazy stoner, and then dude went and started in Game of Thrones as Theon Greyjoy and became more famous than she was, so I fuck her. I love Lily Allen. Yeah, but man, she shit on her brother, and it made him a bigger star than she'll ever be. Um, Jason, which one of them is fucking David Harbour? I arrest my case. Is she? Yeah. And he's not? No, she's just fucking him. But Alfie's not fucking David Harbour. No. Why not? I mean... Don't they share that? Isn't that how it works? I mean, <laughs> I don't want to talk about how my family does stuff, but... So, Jason, right. um, after that, I hope you look for us on social media. Yes, you'll check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can just search for For Screen. And Country. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find me on Twitter oh, at Jason shit. D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Just ripped that out of my mouth. You don't need to say it today. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you can, yeah, you can follow Jason there. Um, watch his videos where he just drinks whiskey. <laughs> just, just, yeah, that's my thing. I just, just full on John Belushi bottles of whiskey. It's like those daily David Lynch weather reports, but it's just him drinking whiskey. Just me every morning, 8.15 on the dot, drink a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, uh, yeah, 
I think that's it. Yeah. I, I, I guess it just leaves one thing to say. <gasps> the thing we always say? No. No, you got to say the say thing that? we always say. Because it's what we do. It's what we always say. Say the thing, and then I'll say the thing, and then we can get the fuck out of here, Brendan. God save the queen. God save the screen. For screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Adios. Glug, 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 glug. Glug, glug, whiskey drinks. Whiskey river, take my mind. Whiskey River, take my mind. Don't let her memory torture me. Whiskey River, don't run dry. You're all I've got, take care of me. I'm drowning in a whiskey river bathing my memory mind in the wetness of its soul feeling the amber current flowing from my mind and leaving hard you left so cold whiskey river take my Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Ban out, ban out, ban out, ban out. Ban out, ban out, ban out, ban out. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com